At age 14, my family and I moved to Botswana in southern Africa, and at my new school, I did not fit in. Most of the other students came from all over Africa, so they boarded in the dormitories. Meanwhile, my brother and I lived in town, and we rode our bikes back and forth to school every day. Boarding students ate in the cafeteria at lunchtime, a very lively social scene, while we pedaled home to have lunch with our parents. Also, I was the only white girl in my grade, and many of the other girls kept their distance because of this. In those days, in nearby South Africa, white people were terrorizing black South Africans, and I think my classmates couldn't help but associate me with that nightmare realm. They felt wary, and I felt lonely. Over time, though, one girl reached out to me. Her name, Petronella, her uncle, Joshua Nkomo, a famous freedom fighter in then Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. Somehow she didn't fit in either, and she walked with me between classes, and during break time, we'd go back to her dorm room for tea and Marie biscuits dipped in milky, sugary tea, and we chatted about everything. And my heart swelled with gratitude for Petronella. Her kindness helped me feel well, whole and, and, and hopeful in this brand new world where I didn't quite fit in. And so I pondered and pondered, what could I do to thank her? How could I ever show her how her kindness to me equaled nothing less than my teenage sanity? What did I have to offer? And then I thought about break time in her dorm room and how we would stop at the school shop first to buy packets of biscuits, that's cookies, and then we'd take them back to her dorm room for tea. And I don't know if it was just my wondering or maybe some kind of divine direction, but suddenly the idea came, what would it be like if I brought a cake? So that afternoon, I pedaled home to my house, and I baked an applesauce cake with raisins and nuts and caramel icing on top. And the next morning, I carefully lowered it down into my cake, my tin cake box, and I strapped it onto the handlebars of my bicycle, and I pedaled very carefully to school. Tea time in the dorm that morning was special. The usual big cups of milky, sugary tea and tin cups, plus big slabs of cake. And soon, other girls appeared in the doorway, sensing somehow, as you always do if you live in a dorm, when real food is around. And before we knew it, 10 girls were crammed in the room with us, shoulder to shoulder, all across the bed and tucked in every corner, drinking tea and feasting on cake. I could hardly wait to try this experiment again, and so a few days later, I baked a towering German chocolate cake and again lowered it into the tin cake box, strapped it onto my bike handles, carefully pedaled to school, and even more girls showed up in Petronella's dorm room. That time, news had spread, and we had ourselves a party gobbling cake, laughing at the crush of bodies in the room. Someone gave me my own tin mug. Life was good. The next week, 
bearing a fluffy vanilla cake with pink icing and mountains of sprinkles. I had hardly set foot in the dorm room before the crowd formed. You get the idea. Week after week, cake heaven. My loneliness cured by cake. Have you ever felt, maybe it's been during this pandemic or at another time in your life, so overburdened, overwhelmed, so lonely that you could not imagine how to take the next step. Teenagers feel this way a lot. And I did all those years ago in Botswana. We all do as adults sometimes too. And Elijah does today, as you heard Ola read. In fact, Elijah feels so lost, he cannot imagine a way to carry on. Now, Elijah lived in a time of political corruption and searing hatred between faith traditions. The Israelites, who had believed in one God, were straying away from that belief and following many gods. Hundreds who did follow God were slaughtered, and then hundreds who followed the gods, including Baal, they were slaughtered too. King Ahab corrupt his wife Jezebel, a Baal priestess, who moments before our story begins today has vowed to kill Elijah for wiping out her priests. So this, this is a story that's coming from terrible violence begetting more terrible violence in that violent time. And Elijah, no matter what he does to try to promote his one God, nothing seems to really change, nothing gets better. And so dismissing his servant, Elijah, we can imagine traumatized as well as exhausted, lurches toward Beersheba in Judah into the wilderness to hide. Slumping down under a broom tree, imagine this is a broom tree, he begs God to let him die. He says, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. He had dreamed of reclaiming Israel for God, and he failed. Many still did not believe in the one God. The government was against him. And so suffering from what Anne Lamott calls existential exhaustion, he collapses into a deep sleep. And here comes the part with cake. <laughs> As he sleeps, an angel touches him and says, get up and eat. He looks and there at his head is a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He eats and drinks and lies down again. I like that part. We can't snap out of these depressions immediately, right? So the angel of the Lord comes a second time, touches him and says, get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. The journey? Elijah thought it was all over. It's not. 
Elijah gets up, eats and drinks, and then, no longer hopeless and lost, travels for a perfectly biblical 40 days and 40 nights on the strength of that food to Mount Horeb, Sinai, the very place where Moses met God. God has more planned for Elijah, a man who was lost but now is found. Now, on the surface, nothing has changed in his life. Elijah's life is still fraught with danger. Jezebel and Ahab's soldiers are on the hunt. The profound struggle for who the people will follow, Yahweh God or the many gods, continues. And yet, that cake, that support, that fortification, that strength, that simple food changes everything. Think about a time in your own life when you fed others that way or they fed you. Literally or figuratively or both. For me, a couple of divine or desperation-inspired cakes changed my whole young life. It gave me friendship, a place at the table, and tea in my own tin cup. It gave me belonging. Cake for Elijah is God's way of saying nothing less than your work is not yet done. Come alive again. And the cake offers reassurance that Elijah will always be fed, be given what he needs. God meets our needs, guides us through those hard times and angels sounding a lot like worried parents give us the honest truth. You'll never make it unless you eat. <laughs> and all of this brings us this morning to Jesus today in John's gospel, that moment when he says, I am the bread of life. Just as Elijah couldn't go on without that angel food, Jesus says, whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever comes to me will never be thirsty. By describing himself as food, which we cannot do without, right? Jesus is trying to help his listeners understand that by believing in him, we will survive. And moments later, he goes on to say, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. God loves us so much and understands our loneliness and our fear and our deepest yearning so much that he sends his son as food so that we can keep on going. Like Elijah, Jesus spells it out. He says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This bread Jesus gives, in other words, it's, it's his very own self, meaning that he gives us everything. 
So in my story, the contents of a humble tin cake box changed everything. Imagine what more God can do when we are afraid, hopeless, exhausted, and utterly lost. Jesus is standing by, ready to feed us nothing less than the food of life. A connection with God so deep and complete that we become bread too. Food for the world and bread that lasts forever. Amen.